0: Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Happy Hour Live with Brian Rosen, where we are neither an hour nor live, but we are indeed happy. And today, I have a friend, I have a guest, and I have a legend. Mark Bouchala is on the show. I'm going to let him talk about his background, but all you need to know is on almost every shelf on earth are some of Mark's products which is pretty badass and pretty impressive. So I have traveled in circles with Mark for probably dozens of years and never knew it. We have met in the recent Become Fast Friends, and um, I am incredibly excited to have him share his, what they call him, superhero world origin story. Uh, with that, Mark, uh, welcome to the show, Graham.
1: Thank you, Brian. And what a, what a nice introduction. It's, it, I felt like I was listening to my obituary. It wasn't pre-written, by the way. It was Go all, nice. all well, off then, the cuff. Perfect. Then you are going to give my eulogy.
0: <laughs> fine. Is it pay? Is it, is it a paying gig? I'll pay. Fine, I'm in.
1: There'll be, there will be shrimp.
0: Oh, fine. I'm totally in. Tell us about you.
1: Mm, um, well, that could be a long story. Um, I guess about me in the world of spirits. That's correct. Okay, not Um, not interested in the personal
0: side just yet. The personal (laughs) side—that's a different. That's a different podcast.
1: Yeah, it's not appropriate for your listening audience. Uh, Well, I got into the spirits business by, I would say, happenstance in 2010, and uh, I had um, a business partner who was interested in launching uh, a whiskey, and he was interested in launching a whiskey because he knew a master distiller who um, spent 40 years at Brown Foreman and was retired and wanted to come out of retirement to own his own brand. And I knew nothing about the liquor space other than as a consumer. So I, uh, I did some research, we compared notes, and this was um, interestingly before kind of the resurgence of, of brown liquor. So for a long period of time, whiskey uh, was not the, the drink of choice and uh, you know, vodka was still on a tear. So we, we felt like there was an opportunity to do something uh, that had a unique brand voice and a different story and uh, a point of difference. So we put together a band. Uh, mm-hmm. We had some really interesting talent. We had an all-star a- team. It was an all-star team, I will say. We had uh, some, some experts in the field, in uh, Jay Mulpey and his team at Incubrands that had um, a, a big sales force and great relationships. Uh, we had a, a legendary master distiller. I don't think he, would, he was a household name, but certainly known in the industry. And his son, uh, Wes Henderson, master distiller, was Lincoln Henderson, now passed. And we had a partner in a, a creative agency called Crisp Porter Bogusky. And people in advertising certainly know them. Very awar- highly awarded uh, creative agency, worked on all kinds of large consumer brands. And uh, they were interested in not being an agency, but being an equity partner and bringing their, their creativity to, uh, to this venture.
0: Skin in the game.
1: Real skin in the game, and that was exciting. So we, we did what any novice um, would do when they want to get into a new field. We tried to get smart, and we went and did the bourbon trail. So after maybe the fifth or sixth distillery and countless um, tastings, uh, we kept hearing the story being told again and again about the Angel's Share, the portion of the booze that evaporates over time from barrels. And we thought, boy, that would be a clever name for a brand because it's got a story to it. And uh, Alex Bogusky went and came back the next day and said, you know, it's, uh, it's trademarked, it's not in use, but I was thinking maybe we should call the portion of the liquid that we have the Angel's Envy. And I said, see, that's why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> he, uh, it, was, it was a great name. It had a, a really great backstory, easy to tell, easy to remember. You know, some days later, he came back with a concept for a bottle that was shaped based on these angels' wings. And uh, I remember thinking, um, it's beautiful, but is it too feminine for a male-dominated category? Uh, and, you know, looking at everything else on the shelves that are kind of square, flask-like, et cetera. And his point was, you need to stand out on the shelf and this this bottle will do just that. So in, in relatively short order, we had a a really beautiful bottle and a great name. And we knew that Lincoln and Wes would create a product that people would love, um, which ultimately they did both in our, our bourbon with a port finish and our rye, which was a rum cask finish.
0: You know, the, first of all, I've heard the story before, and so we we get downloaded about 35,000 times a week, which is amazing because God bless the people who want to hear me and us collectively. But that story is going to ring true for a lot of people because our listeners, if I pull the demographics, our listeners are newbies in the spirit space, they are finance people, they are hobbyists, enthusiasts, whiskey lovers, wine, spirit, beer, et cetera. The story is everything wrong. You did everything wrong, Mark, right? You did everything wrong to be uber successful. You entered a category of which you know nothing about. Yeah, that, that's what I. W- I always counsel people um, that come in contact with my world to say, "Are you sure you want to do this? This is climbing Everest without, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary." For those of you at home, that's the first guy to ever scale Everest. Google is the key, and then you put a bottle. If you if people can in their mind's eye visualize the Angels Angels Envy bottle, it's wider than a 750 size bottle so you take up about a a spot and a half right on the shelf and everyone would guard against that so i I guess awesome right (laughs) but when you go into it when you go into the business and you're contrarian to what is popular and what is known how do you overcome a lot of those objections because everyone's telling you hey you can't do it you're not from the game You, you don't know anyone in kentucky You know, there's a lot of you can't, you won't, you don't, you shouldn't. Yet you sold the brand for a wonderful amount of money and you said, I don't care what the what the no's say, I'm gonna make it a yes. So how do you kind of reconcile with that in your head?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, great question. I think part of the reason I was able to get into this space was, uh, and and know nothing about it, is I'd started lots of other businesses. And there's certain commonalities when you're creating a business. First is, know what you don't know, and then go find out, find the best people that know a lot about that subject, right? So, you know, if you're a conductor, you don't have to be a great violinist, but you better have one of the orchestra. so we we put together a really good team of people from creative marketing i mean we had salesforce with with our partners you know we had the key components and coming in and and not knowing things and asking why things aren't done that way and often getting the answer it's just not and then but that's not an answer
0: that's not an answer but but
1: can you could you But, but no you know and and then well why not and I remember distinctly the conversations around pricing, and you know we we had to liquid at that point. We had a great bottle, and our sales guys, um, you know, we we decided that we wanted to be in the super premium category in price, and you know that is there's kind of a, a, a defined price point that puts you in that category. And so we want to be at the high end of that. So we'd like to be at a forty-five dollar bottle of whiskey. Now, Which,
0: by the way, just as a side note, the highest skew velocity for any brand globally, is $22 to $27. That is the sweet spot for brands, brown spirits specifically. You're in the stratosphere, Mark, of, or at least Angel's Envy was, the stratosphere of price, which would imply a slower sell-through rate, would imply a bigger risk, and a slower depletion. Mm-hmm. So all scary, all, all, again, to this world of you know, people come at these things from abundance or from scarcity, right? This is this. I'm coming to this from scarcity because it's never been done. Bottles a different shape, weird price point, audience is unproven,
1: right the the, the craft um, The craft movement in whiskey had not happened. Yeah. Um, and our, our point of view, or at least uh, the select view of, of a couple of us in the group, was, you know, what what when Grey Goose came out and said, we're going to charge twice what leading vodka brands are. And, oh, by the way, we're, and we're a French vodka. You know, did anyone ever think of France as being a great vodka producer? It's I a mean,
0: hotbed of vodka.
1: Right? Um, and by charging what they were charging at the time, what they were really saying is where the, the, the price is an indicator of quality. We're the best product out there. And um, consumers do think to some extent that that is all, always true. It's not always true. Um, and we looked at the category and said, we, we wanna be at the high end of the price range. And I can tell you our, our sales team at the time said, if you're priced above $35, this this is gonna be a stillborn. You're, it's a death warrant for the brand. Wow, yeah. It, you, you know, it will sit on the shelf and we're screwed. And literally we're like, we're gonna come out at 45. If we need to discount on shelf, we will. Um, but that's going to be the price, I and mean, it was it was a robust uh, and vigorous conversation um, within the first year of launching our product. We took a price hike to forty nine, and what's amazing um, for people that have are relatively new to the whiskey space, when being in the last six or seven years. Now the forties is like mainstream. right? Yeah. You've got, yeah. Yep. you 've got two year age you know locally produced whiskey that um, could remove
0: paint Indiana whiskey, yeah <laughs>
1: that is that is you know at forty five dollars it's no longer the high end of that spectrum and and certainly the prices go you know well above that um, so it's you know it, it, at the time it was a, a bit of a gamble, but it was it was done strategically, and we knew how we wanted to position that product. Um, what we didn 't know was that there was a, um, a groundswell of interest. Coming and uh, we benefited from it, and that you know bourbon, American bourbon, and American whiskey suddenly became interesting. Craft cocktail movement was happening, and people um, were were migrating to drinking more premium and super premium.
0: There's no question that your time was your timing was spot on, right? There's no question that, and timing is a function of luck and hard work. Some sort of mathematical equation: luck over hard work equals good timing but the ability to identify a market before it is what we call a market was really incredible in the Angel's Envy story. And it's funny, I had on the show a couple of weeks ago, Renato Reyes, who is the head of M&A at Deutsch Family. And we talked about the success rate is 2%, the failure rate is 98%. And, and we had a long discussion about why would someone wanna be in the space? And look, I'm in the space, have been since prohibition. You are in the space. I invest in the space. You invest in the space. I sell on good days in the space on bad days. I don't, mm-hmm. but it is the beverage business. And a lot of, you know, when you people download podcasts, you can see kind of where they're coming from or what their uh, IP addresses. A lot of the people that download us are marketers. And one of the things I find really interesting is that the beverage space from a historical perspective is challenged by its own success meaning the three tier system is a little bit of a blockage for new brands to come in because you need suppliers distributors everyone to get on board and accounts you can't go right to market like you can in Europe but the other side of that is once your brand lo- once you have brand loyalty you start to you can flex a little bit and, but there's a big there's a big gap between brand loyalty and brand introduction so i guess i would say to you so The question is, after a little bit of that diatribe, you ship cases to whomever, whatever distributor you're with in whatever state. Then all of a sudden it's, with an instant adaptation? Was it six months of holy shit? Or was it, oh my God, we've got a thoroughbred that we're holding on by barely holding on to the the,
1: uh, hair on the back of its neck? Mm. Well, I guess success is all relative, I guess. So we did better than we expected out of the gates in terms of volume. I would say today, you know, people would look at our, our first-year case volume, and honestly, I can't remember what it was right now, and say, that's nothing. Um, at the time, we're like, wow, we're, we're doing a lot better than we expected. And we had a long-term plan of, you know, we're gonna build this over 10 years. And um, at the time, you could buy really great six, eight-year-old Kentucky bourbon. And, and it's worth mentioning that um, we didn't distill for the first four or five years, our own product. We were buying aged inventory, we were blending and doing barrel, unique barrel finishes. Mm-hmm. And you could pick up the phone and you could call a number of people and you could buy whatever quantity you wanted. And I think our first- in- Not anymore. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure our first barrels we paid for really great bourbon, we were like 450 or $500 a barrel. Oh, bring, bring
0: those days back.
1: It was It was amazing. So a year later, I'm like, hey guys, we're not gonna have enough inventory to meet our plan. Should go get some more, and you know, well, then prices were like eight hundred. Like, wow, that's a big jump in a year. Yeah. And two years later, you know, they're two thousand. And by the way, how many did you need? Uh, no, we've got 500. Not, yeah. five hundred, and they're not five thousand anymore. And we're going to
0: tell you the price.
1: And we're going to tell you the price. And today, if you're going to get um, six or eight year old Kentucky bourbon. Um, if you can find any quantity that's available, you know, you're going to be 3,000, 4,000, I've seen 5,000 a barrel. So it's, the demand is certainly outpaced supply. No question, there's always the question of, is there a bourbon bubble or uh, a whiskey bubble? And when is there going to- say, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so, there's a lot of liquid aging and will will prices come down? So anyway, I, I guess the, the answer to your question was, we were, we were pleasantly surprised uh, we continued to pick up momentum, and I think that was largely because we, you know, the market dynamics, and we had a, we did, we were distinctive both in our flavor profile and our brand voice, and and then um, probably more so than now, that, that was a big point of differentiation. There's a lot of craft brands today. Um, there's a lot of really good craft brands. There's great packages, um, and apart from that, you talk about the, the success rate or or the failure rate. I kind of look at it like a restaurant business, you know. Also, eighty percent fail within two years. Yeah, and you know, you can have a, a great location, you can have a great design, you can have great food, you can have great service, and you can still fail. So there's a percentage of it which is kind of the magic, if you will. Why does why some succeed when you have everything done right? And I think I think that's true too in spirits. But generally, um, people who get into the space maybe don't have one of those key elements. Sometimes it's capital. Sometimes they make great whiskey, but they, they have no idea how to market it. They don't have the infrastructure. Sometimes in, in the spirits world, it's, it's the ability to get um, the right distributors to carry your brand. And, yeah, and get, and get behind it. And get behind it. So there's a lot of factors that contribute. It's not just having a good product.
0: Do you, th- well, that's for sure because I, many of you at home know the following phrase, and that is, Jägermeister is the worst brand with the best marketing. <laughs> uh, if I, if I want to put a, a bunch of women in Lederhosen and, 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 and trape them around bars to give shots away, I'm going to have a successful brand too, but I'm giving away half the bottle to begin with. I'm paying for my own depletion a la vive, right? And, and that's how they built a brand, but it's a marketing brand. I mean, Sidney Frank, who is a genius like Michelle Rue, you know, if you're old enough, Michelle Rue was the the fellow who designed those Absolute posters, Absolute Chicago, Absolute Miami, Absolute New York, and the poster became, Absolute Vodka is a a vodka that is, dare I say, for alienation of our sponsors, Um, Absolute Vodka has, time has passed, and the, the cachet of Absolute Vodka has also passed, the same way their chief marketer, Michelle Rue, has passed on, and and there's a lot more choices. When all of us, when you were successful at Angel's Envy, uh, uh, not when you were, during that successful period at Angel's Envy, there was 20 bourbons on the shelf, 30 bourbons on the shelf, Mark?
1: Uh, you know, I, I I couldn't hazard a guess, but it, you didn't have two aisles. Um, that's yeah. Sure. Yep. And, yeah. you know, our, as we were looking at it, it as complete neophytes, and I say we, myself and um, Alex Bogusky, you know, if you did, there was a bunch of brands named after dead guys and um more or less all preaching to be more traditional than the other. Yeah. And so our thought was, you know, you're you're not gonna be more traditional than them. So, you know, let's figure out a different message and a different look.
0: Um, do you do you think that it so you've and, and for full disclosure, Mark's got other brands and and Heaven's Door and Stolen Stolen X and, and others, do you think it's better to be a marketer in this space or a maker in this space.
1: Oh, I, I think that the two are inextricably linked. I mean, if you're if you're going to be a brand owner, you, you you better know how to market your product. Right. I mean, when you say brand maker, I mean there are obviously you know there are companies that just produce bulk and that's its own business and it's, as a commodity. Right. Uh, and there are companies who buy that product and and they you could call them marketers as brand owners because they're taking someone else's liquid, yep. Um, and you, I think I think consumers would be surprised by the number of brands that have exactly the same liquid um, it, in different bottles at different price points. Uh, I think that today's whiskey drinkers are a lot more sophisticated than they were five or ten years ago. So they they care about provenance, they care about um, they want to understand who made it and what's different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So having a point of difference, and that's fine if you if you are using sourced whiskey most. A vast number of, I would say, any early brands are, are sourcing their whiskey. Otherwise, you're you're distilling and you're going to lay it down for four to. Right,
0: five. And no one's got the capital for that or the patience. And you—that's that's the beauty of, I mean, that's the beauty of, of bourbon investing, right? Because you can either either you have to have deep pockets and have the ability to sit on a liquid for three and a half years, or you got to buy it at at, a, at an exasperated price because you
1: have deep pockets. That's right.
0: That's it. Those and- are the two options.
1: Yeah, right. and you know scotch blends are just that right so it's um, coming up with a a flavor profile that's distinctive and and people like is is key I think it's less important for most consumers to say you know whose products did you blend um, if you yeah, if you've got a good palette the finished product is great that's what matters So you're either blending or you're you're doing unique things with a barrel finish or a, you know all of the above and and that's really where we had focused with Angel's Envy. Now, Angel's Envy did build ultimately its own distillery, downtown Louisville. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and it's a, a fairly large production facility. And they've had their inventory laying down for years. I, I don't know if their own liquid is now on, the, on shelves or uh, yeah, a combination. I, don't know. I can tell you though, that the taste is the same. As it can, It's still an avid consumer. It, it tastes great. Uh, so anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, these, look, there's, you achieve the ultimate goal, right? Every, Every supplier we talk to, bar none, bar none uh, wants to sell their brand. They have read the press clippings of Casa Mexico, Casa Amigos, uh, Aviation Gin, Babe Rosé, 10 West, all of them, right? Or 10 High? 10 High. 10 West. High West. West. Yeah, I confused them both. Um, Mm -hmm. And they see these crazy multiples and they want to get in the spirit business to sell a spirit. My phone at BevStrat began ringing like crazy the day the Casa Amigos deal was announced. It was, hey, I've got a tequila. Can you help me? I need to get... He only had 50,000 cases sold. Yes, he was George Clooney, right? (laughs) So it makes it a lot easier to sell your business when you're George Clooney and Randy Gerber than it does when you're, you know, um, Mystery Man X. Right. Uh, So you sold your company and did you take time off? Did you take a vacation? Did you have a closing dinner? And then how quickly did you get back to work? Because entrepreneurs, and we talk here a lot about entrepreneurs, um, entrepreneurs, the exit is not the reason for the entrance. The Mm -hmm. exit is just on the path. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. Like you exited off and then what?
1: Uh, I probably had dinner. I don't know if it was a, a, a closing dinner, but I probably had dinner and I, I probably stayed up thinking about what's the next thing. Um, so it was, a, it was a very uh, short ride in, in the vast scheme of things. So we, yeah. from concept to exit was five years. And I would say it was four years that product and market. Um, so that's so is, that nine, is that nine years total or that's five years total? No, five years total from yeah. A, that's that's a the dream for every entrepreneur in the world. It, it was very very quick and and frankly sooner than we were uh, necessarily wanted to to exit the business because I think we had a, a pretty good sight line on on the growth, um, but we also had a, a very very compelling offer from Bacardi and I, I'm always amazed when you hear about entrepreneurs that say no to deals that are just incredible and then you you know a year later their business is not worth it thought it was. Yep. Didn't, want, didn't want to be that guy. And our, our investors were in, in the deal to um, you know, with an exit in mind. So uh, really the thought was, let's take those learnings and the team and relationships and see if we can um, you know, catch lightning in a bottle again. Uh, so the, the, the notion was we will uh, invest in brands or innovate our own and not necessarily just whiskey, um, but anything in alcohol beverage and uh, created a company called SIP, Spirit Investment Partners. And just from a press release, I think we received something like 300 different prospectuses in about 30 days. It was absolutely mind blowing. And it wasn't that all um, all of these entrepreneurs were looking for capital, Largely, they were looking for value-add partners. Either they had a really good idea and wanted to get in the biz- business, or they had a concept that was already in market and needed to grow it. But what everybody wanted was somebody who could help them accelerate the growth of their business. Uh, yeah. and, and that kind of proved the thesis. And, and our thought was, we're not really interested in being like a, a, a spirits VC. Um, we're interested in being a, a, you know, actively involved in, in helping grow brands. And by being active, I mean, I, you know, day to day, that means you you only have so much bandwidth. Right. So the thought was to do fewer deals, um, carefully pick your pitches uh, and, you know, look at return on effort as well as return on equity.
0: Do you, you and I have met numerous times in person and we talked about uh, a couple of those times, we've talked about the, the lunacy of the PPM, like, you know, the lunacy of the deck, the I get at InvestBev and BevStrat, and you get at SIP. You, know, you get these decks of people that want to do a cumin-infused tequila with ginger,
1: right? Cra- cra- I think we've both seen that, actually. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I know. You're not being, you're not being I ironic. That.
0: I was trying to be ironic, and I actually just drew up an actual uh, person. Um, the, the funny thing about creating a craft spirit, and this goes out to the people, to the listeners, if you make a spirit that you yourself love, you're gonna have an audience of one. If you make a spirit that everyone loves, you'll have an audience of everyone, right? And so, did you see, can you share a story of something you've seen that has been so outlandish? I'll go first, I'll help you, I'll help I'll give you time. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, got a, 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 I got a pitch across my desk this week about someone who wants to make an all organic, gluten free, calorie free, Sustainable, eco-friendly, paleo-accepted, no carbon footprint bourbon. Is it kosher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot kosher. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's kosher. It's 100 percent kosher. And this is just their idea. So they, I've got this 50-page deck on my desk of, um, I, in fact, it is right. You, my camera is. We don't use cameras here, but it is right here. So I called the I called the supplier up and I said, "Look, I, I, I'm all for entrepreneurship. I've start and I've started and sold." three companies myself. I am all for it. The question is, and I said it earlier, is who is your audience? And, and we just had this long dialogue and, and obviously it wasn't a match for for us and hopefully they'll, they'll find their success point. But do you have a story like in your past of an entrepreneur that's come to you with just craziness and you have to have this hard talk to say, this is not, like, where's your head at?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, it would be, of course. I think, I think what's maybe. You know, it'd be easy to pull out um, some stories of ridiculous brands because I think we we all see them. What's been more interesting for me is seeing brands that I think are are actually great, that have huge potential, but where I don't think I could add value. And that's those are interesting conversations. You're like, I totally get it. I think you've got a great brand. I, I think that there's huge potential, but it's we couldn't add the kind of value that you want. And for one reason or another, you know, we looked at something in non alk that was really, really interesting. And that um, I'm sure it would be successful. I'm like it's a different route to market. It's different sales organization. It's probably different yeah. distributors. So you can find a better partner for us than, than,
0: than we, us. we should connect after the show. I looked at a non alk too this week oh. that, uh, that it might, might be the same a non alk whiskey.
1: Well, you know, you know this, Liz, uh, there's a t- uh, the low proof, yeah. Not, I wouldn't say non-alcoholic, I'm, I'm not sure I believe in that, um, but certainly consumers are interested in lower proof spirits these days, and I yeah. think that's a, a trend that will be around for a while.
0: Yeah, and it's not, look, uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I think the idea of going to someone else for advice or opinion is to be malleable to what the market really says, and to, and to recognize you don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um Oftentimes, entrepreneurs are so focused on marketing and and having all the answers that they don't listen to the questions that are being asked by the market. Right. Um, that being said, you came back, you, so you well, hold have, on a second. Said, now, hold yeah, on a second.
1: Tell me, tell Cause, me, because it's easy. You know, it's easy for the two of us to be the smartest guys in the room
0: in this room. <laughs> in there's the, there's only two the, of us in here. This virtual room.
1: If you had told me uh, two years ago that you were going to launch a peanut butter flavored whiskey, yeah. I would say, dude, you are, you need to, you know, seek yeah. professional help, right? And yeah, mm-hmm. wow. And you're just shocked when it comes to market and it has the kind of acceptance. And then you try and i like, huh, I get it. It's not bad. I understand yeah. why there's a demand for this product. Yeah. Um, and the same can be true, you know, we could find a hundred examples, right? And yeah, but I, I would say, would, look. You wouldn't. You wouldn't think of or you wouldn't buy, but it doesn't mean there's not a commercial, there's not a market for it. Uh,
0: don't get me wrong. We bet categories, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to play a category that that I don't know, that the consumer doesn't know, where you have to spend a lot of the time educating the consumer. Consumer education, if you spend your sales time educating the consumer, then you can't spend your sales time selling. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I come at from from, from that regard. But yeah, look, peanut butter whiskey, hundred percent. Who who would have saw it? Who would have known it? Uh, would you Would you have
1: thought four years ago that hard seltzers would be the market they are today?
0: White Claw didn't think four years ago that it was. I mean, it was White Claw's a billion dollar a billion dollar business valuation. I, I don't look. I, my job as an investor, my job as a mentor, as a person who runs businesses in 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 Bev, is to not create a trend, although I'd be, it'd be great to do so. The job is to, is to give the support to take advantage of a trend that's happening. I mean, Burger King is a multi-billion dollar company and it's the second best. Truly is a billion dollar valuation. It's the second best. And there's a lot of those out there. I don't need necessarily to be number one on the, on the ticket. I just wanna be on the ticket.
1: No, no, but I'm, I'm talking about before they become a thing sometimes we see deals and you just don't see the potential and someone said i'm we're going to sell um seltzer water with gns in it you'd be like huh that sounds delicious good luck to you yeah thanks for coming thank you and now it seems obvious and and you know all of the major beer players who are losing market share to hard seltzers are, are coming out with them and um, it's it's fascinating to see the proliferation, and I don't think that I I would certainly not have uh, bet on that five years ago or four years ago. And today I'm you know looking at lots of investments in in RTDs. Uh, yeah,
0: well, anything wine wine in a can, right? We were when I was selling wine every day. If it came in a, it, it's bad enough, it came in a three liter jug like Carlo Rossi or a box like Franzia. That kind of that kind of packaging had a the consumer had a certain feeling about that packaging—that the wine was cheap, um, it was a daily drinker, it was shitty, for lack of a better word, steel fermented, farmer-grown grapes, etc. And canned wine is a huge category. And Sophia, remember Sophia? Sophia Coppola was one of one of the first her canned wine or her canned
1: sparkling. Right. I never, I never would have. I mean, but What's now. It? A, I remember when a synthetic cork was considered a kiss of death if you were a yep. wine. Yeah. And then a, a screw cap on a bottle of wine. Are you yes. crazy? And yeah. it, consumers, you know adopted and accepted it, and then putting it in a can, uh, oh my God. Sa. Yeah. I,
0: I never made, look, I never made a living on being a prognosticator, right? I never made a living on being the first to discover a trend, but I, but I like to be in that early adoption phase and, and let someone else take that, that early risk. So okay, so I wanna more about your life. This is like um this is your life, and I'm gonna bring out your grade school teacher. From, oh boy from Fort Williams. Yes, here she is.
1: She she was very nice to me.
0: Um so the next project after Angel's Envy was what?
1: So of that mountain of, um, of not resumes, but uh, IMs, right. there was one that stood out. You happen to be wearing the shirt today. And for those listeners at home, um, there's a black t-shirt that Mr. Rosen is wearing that says that this is stolen on the shirt. And that was exactly what was written on the cover of this IM. And of course, it grabs your attention. Of and course. I was reading about this, um, this craft rum brand out of Auckland, New Zealand called Stolen Rum. And man, what a great package! Uh, you know, felt very straight. It was very authentic. Well, like this brand has tremendous potential. And uh, they wanted to come to the U.S. They were, I guess, in market three or four years in Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, they had a portfolio of, I want to say, four different kinds of of rums, um, each with an interesting point of difference. They laid claim to the being the world's first smoked rum. And we didn't really, well, to be perfectly honest, we did think the rum category was right for disruption. Yeah, <laughs> but, you, you did you know, or not. We, we thought, hey, you know what? This is kind of like what the whiskey space was. Yeah, so, I like the rum category a sleepy, as a category. Sleepy, um, a lot of sameness, a lot of nautical themed brands out there. And uh, if you've got something that's cool and edgy and has a different flavor profile, man, you'd only need a fraction of a percent of the market share. So we ended up making a, uh, an equity investment for a majority share. What we came to learn was that is a very difficult category
0: mm-hmm. that
1: is very much price-driven and- uh, I concur. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say that consumers, generally speaking, uh, are care so much about the the different flavor because it tends to come out of a well and be mixed with Coke or in a cocktail. Mm-hmm. So we, we spent about three years and we got, got good traction and we opened up over 4,000 retail accounts. But it's just hard to get velocity in that category and you know you can't really compete with the big boys on, on price or incentives or promotion. Um, fortunately, at the time we invested, we thought this was gonna be a tremendous brand to go across category. And I can tell you, talking to a number of distributors and, and strategics at the time, People are like you can't go cross category. No one goes cross category. Well, yeah. there were some exceptions. Another, matter. another no, right? Another, another, no, another that you, no that you got. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, usually the notable exceptions are craft whiskey makers that were selling vodka and gin because they needed to get revenue yeah. while their inventory aged. Um, so that, and to, even today, you know, we can rattle off a bunch of them that have uh, vodka and gin in their portfolio. Um. There are some big players, you know Seagrams um sells a hell of a lot of vodka and gin, um, yeah. so you know there are exceptions to the rule uh, so our plan was to go cross category with it, but we decided um after a couple of years that our focus really should be in whiskey and and you know fish where the fish are, whatever analogy you want to use um and our Our foray with that brand into the whiskey space was we had a thousand barrels of thirteen year old whiskey, which is fantastic yeah. And, well let's let's use it for stolen well incredibly good whiskey to put in, in a, a package that's selling for I, I want to say we were a $34 model I mean now in a different brand we would have been charging 49 yeah um, stolen 11 we came out with and, and honestly if you if any of your listeners can find it on shelf they should they buy whatever they can find um, we knew that it was going to be an LTO a limited time offering because we only had a thousand barrels of it. Uh, but we did proof of concept. Uh, you
0: th- wait, let me take it. Let's pause you here. You had a thousand barrels of 13-year-old whiskey?
1: Yes. And and we sold it at a crazy low price point. Uh, well played. I,
0: I, I, <laughs> that's, I, you could buy a thousand houses for a thousand barrels.
1: <laughs> you, you know what? We could have probably just sold the barrels and got uh, yeah. you know, a lot of money and, and called it a day. Um, still stolen 11 is one of my favorites. Uh, and what we did was a, a secondary barrel finish. We put it in a heavy char barrel to give it more smoke and character because it was a light whiskey, um, so it had a lot, of, a good amount of sweetness to it. Um, and it was, for all intents and purposes, it wouldn't be bourbon, but it was, uh, the original barrels were used, so you can't call it bourbon, um, if I'm getting too technical. Oh, those uh, rules. rules, 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 rules. So it was a whiskey. Um, the the secondary barrel finish gave it great you know depth and character and ter- tremendous. Uh, well, we so we we figured out yes this works in whiskey but let's find something that we can get um, quantities of and sell at a good price point, and uh, we came out with a rock and rye, um, which is its own class and designation. So the, the backstory for those uh, those listeners out there is uh, unaged. Rye whiskey, which was usually very hot and harsh, um, in saloons the, the bartenders would put rock candy in it. Sometimes sweeten it with honey, sweeten um, it up, yeah, or orange, orange peel, anything to make it palatable. And that uh, is called rock and rye. So we came out with a, a brand called Stol, well, Stolen X. And I'm going to just rewind the tape. With <laughs> Stolen, we learned through um, being in the market for years, that when people were ordering it at a bar, the bartenders were hearing Stoli. Oh, fuck. Right? And yeah, if you actually listen to your salespeople and your ambassadors who kept hearing it again and again, there was confusion. Not confusion of the brands, but what people were hearing. Yeah, uh, They were getting the wrong drink. Like, oh man, we need, it. we need a different handle. And we loved the name Stolen, but we figured we'd have to make, make sure there's a point of difference. So. Stolen X um, was easy. People could call for X, or if the bartender heard the X, they knew they were talking about stolen.
0: That's funny how that, that's a, actually a pretty good anecdote because um, I had a brand years ago in Florida called Tito Morav Vodka. And it was a, it, the brand is not around, I don't believe, but this is a brand, this is a vodka that had alkaline water in it. And the, it was built by a physicist or a chemist or a
1: rocket scientist.
0: scientist plumber, one of them, some trade, and they had alkaline water and vodka together so you can get drunk and limit the hangover, was the theory. Alkaline water hydrates as you drink. It was called Tito Morav. Tito Marav And a vodka.
1: No, is there? Yeah.
0: Huh. yeah, there's a bigger Another brand. Out there, there is. There is. Tito Beverage, um, the number one vodka on earth, um, hmm. out of the trunk of his car in Austin, Texas, if you believe all the hype so this guy couldn't understand why no one was buying Tito Morav kind of your story, but a little different in the sense that they didn't buy Tito Morav because they bought Tito's and they didn't want to double buy Tito's.
1: Right. And in fact, people were asking for your brand the whole time. And that's why Tito was successful.
0: Yes, exactly. They wanted a $30 alkaline infused vodka and not a (laughs) 1499, you know, um, handcrafted out of a commercial still. Um, So, so I get it. I get your story. So you got stolen X. That's on. That's in your purvy now. And what about Heaven's Door? One of, for those of us that are in the older set, there is a most prolific songwriter in the last hundred years, uh, Bob Dylan. This is this is his brand or your brand that his his name on it or his brand with your name on it or
1: something. Uh Well, it's it, it it's our brand, but it was uh, his idea, if you will. Um, I had read in some trade press that Mr. Dillon had filed for a trademark in the spirits category, um, whiskey specifically, and the application was for bootleg whiskey. And that seemed amazing to me that Bob Dylan wanted to own a commercial anything um, and that he was interested in being in the whiskey business. Uh, and just from reading this, I was... I, I think probably spent a couple nights thinking about, man, that, that's, A, it's fascinating, and B, uh, it seems like A, whiskey for someone as prolific as Dylan seems limiting, and C, uh, he's probably the most complicated personal brand on the planet in terms of being inscrutable and, and lots of other things. Just not, it, it wasn't obvious, like, the connection, his his celebrity and success in music um, I didn't see necessarily how that would translate into a successful whiskey brand, but I had some thoughts, <laughs> so I, I made it my, uh, my life's mission to insert myself into a discussion um, and uh, was fortunate to connect with his manager, um, Mr. Jeff Rosen, who has been with Bob, I think, 40 years. No and-
0: relation,
1: no relation, no relation no relation to you um uh, unfor- unfortunately for you and no kidding and uh just asked asked Jeff a lot of questions about what you know what they had in mind and and posited some questions and and potential issues uh uh-huh. and you know unsolicited uh my call but he said well what would you do and i said well um first of all you know you you can't just go out out and uh, find a bunch of whiskey. So if you're going to do it, you're not going to have any quantity and continuity of supply of aged whiskey. So you can't have a whiskey. So you might think about a portfolio of whiskeys, because frankly, you're going to maybe get 500 barrels of this and maybe a thousand barrels of that. And, you know, you're you're just not going to have the same flavor profile um, unless you want to buy a lot of unaged stuff and, and wait. So, maybe the approach needs to be a portfolio of different whiskeys. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't definitely steer clear of um, the obvious, which is, you know, don't do a guitar shaped bottle and don't make it all about Bob. I think it needs, he can be the hero behind the brand, but if this doesn't, if the whiskey isn't great, whiskey critics are going to hate it and it's going to get panned.
0: Let me let me just jump in for one second. I want to make sure I understand this correctly. You essentially cold called Bob Dylan.
1: Uh, uh his manager. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but
0: know. you. But you. I mean, <laughs> that's really what it is, right? You. You kind of like drunken dialed the Bob Dylan world, cold called, searched him out,
1: somehow got a hold of someone who got a hold of someone, and eventually right. got to Bob Dylan. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you were cynical, you could call it stalking. Um, I like to call it persistence, but I don't, uh,
0: is stalking a cynical word? I thought that was just called dating.
1: <laughs> you thought it was—you thought it was called shyness.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was just um, that What's was just. A was, that was a star.
1: getting to know you phase. <laughs> right. uh, yes, I, I think you could essentially say that is the case. And I, I was fortunate to get an audience, and that's brilliant. Uh, and Jeff, being a, a very astute businessman, asked a lot of really great questions, and. We kind of riffed on it, and as you know, may, there's probably a less obvious approach to it, the story behind the brand, and make sure that the liquid is going to be uh, standing on its own merits. And um, you know, we'd love to present some ideas if you'd be receptive to it. He said, "Sure, send us what you like." <laughs> so, yeah. forty-eight hours later, and maybe it was a little bit longer. Um, well, actually, no, I forgot the essential part. I'm like, "Is there anything about?" Dylan that maybe the average person would know or even even Bob Dylan fans wouldn't know. And Jeff had said he's really an accomplished painter and sculptor. Yeah. But, uh, and I think I've got all of Dylan's albums and I'm I've read a lot about him. I I had no idea. And said, Well, can you send any of his work? So he sent me a, a link to this stuff and I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. And actually, if you started reading reviews, like he'd critically acclaimed by real art critics. This is not, uh, you know, your average rock star who paints, uh, you know, as a sideline.
0: Paid by numbers, yeah. Made by numbers.
1: Um, and I thought this could be really an interesting, uh, an interesting position for a brand because if you look at his metal work, um, he, he basically goes to junkyards and and he's got scavengers who do this for him. But he finds, you know, these, these really cool, rusted ship parts and broken down weather vanes. And I mean, he's got a workshop just filled with stuff. And he lays them out on the ground and he welds these things together and makes these unbelievable gates. And just took these images and laid them over bottles. And they have this really steampunk kind of quality to them. And if you didn't know anything about the whiskey and you didn't know that there was any association with Dylan, it jumps out at you on shelf because it's a cool label and thought, man, this is, there's something here, and uh, looked at the, his paintings as well, and said, you know, maybe in a on a porcelain bottle, these could, the paintings could be used, and they're beautiful pieces of art to their own right, and came up with a couple other kind of pillars, looking at other things that maybe were more, um, slightly more banal, but uh, I liked the art angle, and we sent this back, and I was really kind of nervous that if you take someone's art, which is, you know, any artist will tell you how personal yep. their creations are. And you put it on a, a whiskey bottle. I figured, you know, there's a 50-50 chance he's going to, you know, you know, virtually slap me in the face. Um, and I said, this is just kind of an approach to thinking. Don't take this as the idea. But I think that, you know, this could be really interesting in terms of a brand narrative. And uh,
0: yeah. Jeff, yeah. Jeff came back and said, Bob loves it. That's, Bob loves it. You know, <laughs> Bob loves it. It's like you know, Robert De Niro. It. No, he's just Bob to us.
1: Bob and Bob. Uh, I said, oh, fantastic. Um, would you guys be open to some some name exploration? And said, don't get me wrong. You know, bootleg is is great, and I I you know, probably got most of the bootleg series on album on vinyl. Uh, but bootleg whiskey, of course, is is moonshine. And even though no one's going to mistake this at this price point as moonshine, I think that there's probably some other names that could work really well and maybe we can play with the idea of bootleg for a limited release. And I said, well, you're, you know, feel free to, to send some ideas. So that was really fun because you get pulling out every album title, every song title, uh, cool. lyrics, nicknames, you name it, right? And there was a list of probably 20 on a short list from 100 that all would have worked great. And kind of our, within our small group of, of confidants, Everyone said Heaven's Door is a great name for a whiskey. And there is even a, a bit of a play between the fact that those metal images are gates. I don't think that people realize it as it's screened on the bottle because it's a close-up. But there is that play, and when you're reading the neck tag, you've got Heaven's Door and these these gates, which are the label. Um, and uh, again, I was pleasantly surprised that they liked the name Heaven's Door as, as this whiskey brand. And our thought was we would create a very limited release, rare product once a year, and we would call it the bootleg series. And so uh, those are rare stocks. Um, Usually we we have somewhere between 1,000 and 2,500 bottles that come out once a year. We've done bootleg volume one and two, and we're working on bootleg volume three. And uh, those are porcelain bottles with his paintings.
0: It's First of all, thank you for sharing that. We work with celebrity brands, you work with celebrity brands. It's very unusual it's very unusual for a celebrity to be involved in their product at a at a deep level. We can go through a uh, Instagram list of celebrities that have tequila brands, that have wine brands, that have rose brands, have whiskey as well, and vodka. The thing with celebrity brands is that your success is invariably if it's if the celebrity piece is at the front of the conversation. Your success of the brand is invariably tied to the celebrity, meaning they come out of public light, so does the brand. What's interesting about Heaven's Door, A, is the name is badass, but B, that he, if you don't know Bob Dylan and you don't know his music, you can drink and love and buy the spirit based on the spirit or the packaging or the art. You don't need to know who Bob Dylan is. And I think you and I talked previously about this. I don't think he cares if people know it's his brand. I think he's, from what I recall in our conversation, I think that he really wants to put out a great product. And if he gets his art out there too, that's great. Oh,
1: 100%. In fact, it was very, very clear uh, in the earliest conversations that what Bob wouldn't do. And actually, I think that the list was everything that he wouldn't do. And, you know, it was funny because, of, of course, you want to be able to, in some very measured way, leverage the celebrity, um, but, you know, he's not, he's never going to be the front man for a brand, hocking it on stage and, um, you know, doing commercials, and nor would it be authentic for his personal brand. He doesn't do that. He is very a very private person. Um, Uh, Even, you know, showing up to uh, pick his Nobel Prize, it wasn't thumbing his nose at that distinction and that honor. It's not who he is. Um, He
0: he humbly picked it up.
1: He did. And, uh, you know, I I think I remember reading, yeah, it was Obama. Um, You know, he got a Medal of Honor from Obama and he played at the White House. And Obama said he showed up when it was time for, for him to gig. He played when he was finished. He came over and tipped his hat and said, nice to meet you, Mr. President, and left. <laughs> and that's probably more yeah. than he would typically speak to anybody else. So it is, it is his character. And it wouldn't be, you know, we didn't expect anything more, nor did we want anything more. He's passionate about the brand. He is an incredible connoisseur of whiskey. It's a lot of input on the flavor profile of everything that we work on. And, um, you know, we're not going to have, you know, giant cardboard cutouts and end display of, of, Mr. Dillon. That's not the brand yeah. whiskey needs to stand on its own.
0: What a great story. Um, so as we, as you all know, the, in our podcast, we, you know, we're happy hour live with Brian Rosen. We're not live and we're not an hour. So we're butting up against an hour. So I want to, I want to close with the final couple of questions if I can. And I, and I think you're the right guy to ask him to coming out of COVID. And I think you're familiar with COVID probably. I've heard of it. Yes, it's, it's, it's out there. And coming out with coming from COVID, what does the future do you feel of on-premise consumption and on-premise, are the bars going to get back to this level of packed you know, shoulder to shoulder? Or do you feel that, that the bars will continue on at the 75% capacity? And as a, as a bolt-on, can bars survive with less people?
1: Hmm. Well, as you you know, as we all know, many have failed. I think a a lot have hung on um, thinking that we're close to turning the corner. And I hope that we are. Um, I think we are. But I, I, you know, I I, I subscribe to the belief that, you know, the the analogy of the Roaring Twenties, I think that that is true.
0: Yeah, we said we talked about that too.
1: People are absolutely dying to get out. Um, It doesn't mean they're they're They want to take Risks with their health, but I, they're anxious to resume life and socializing. Places, restaurants, and bars that tend to skew younger in their audience will rebound a lot faster than places that have an older clientele. In my view, there's we're going to see it come back very, very rapidly, especially um, you know the places that are you know 20s and 30 somethings. Yeah, uh, even, even places that have an older clientele. Um, I can tell you, I. I would go out during COVID, um, and with all of the restrictions and limited seating and limited hours, uh, the places were full. Now, full is probably twenty-five percent of the normal capacity, but it's hard to get a reservation. So yeah. there's there's demand. Um, oh, there's for I'm, sure there's
0: for sure demand. Uh, but all things being equal, your rent doesn't get lower, your cost of booze doesn't go down, your your fixed costs remain the same, your sales go down.
1: Yes, well. Um, I think the places that have survived uh, partially uh, thanks to PPP funding and other grants. Um, so that's that's been critical. You know, landlords have you know, reduced rents and given abatement to keep tenants, knowing that it's going to be yeah. impossible to backfill them if they leave. Uh, so yeah. you know, everybody has been in the same boat. Everyone's uh, squeezing a little bit. Everyone's every, tight, every, everybody's had to, to tighten their belts, and it's you know, it, it seems to have worked. And I think the fact that those that have survived there is less competition, so I think that they should do they should do fine and I'm, I'm impressed when I see people out opening new concepts. <laughs> like, yeah, oh that's, <laughs> that's the bodies aren't even buried yet uh, maybe you want to wait a little bit um, yeah I'm with so, you
0: I'm with you but this goes back mark this goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is this entrep- entrepreneurial spirit in all of us, right what my wife my wife would call um, a brand entrepreneur. If you're born to create, you're born to create, right? And so COVID or not, that doesn't stop. That still is out there.
1: That's right. And, you know, there's, we've all seen a spike in uh, e-commerce and we've seen a spike in uh, off-premise. And, of course, you know, uh, on-premise fell off the face of the earth for a while. Um, yeah. How quickly it comes back, I don't know. But I, you know, I, we grew almost 60% um, in, 19, in 2020 with a uh, heaven store. Um, amazing. And then yeah. that's, that's with slashing your advertising and promotion and sales. Yeah. It's a great
0: year. You're profitable yeah. as hell. Uh,
1: you know, I wouldn't want to repeat it, but you know, it does, I think it speaks to um, just how consumers change their habits. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, look, we what? A, first of all, the hour has gone by incredibly fast and thank you for taking the time. I will tell you of the, 42 guests or so we've had on the show you're easily top 42 and i really and i really appreciate you you being on today i really do
1: i appreciate you um doing the the merchandise the stolen merchandise on the show
0: i may i'll do a screenshot and i'll post a screenshot just to say that i'm there
1: i appreciate
0: but listen um i'll link up um to the listeners at home i will link up Uh, SIP investment, SIP, uh, the company SIP on our, uh, on our page. I'll also link up stolen. I'll link up heaven's door and I'll link up angels envy. So anyone who wants to learn more about Mark and the brands, please go to the link in the header and Mark, as always, thank you so much.
1: Dr. Rosen. Thank you.